Hi, and welcome to the Food Navigator podcast, your deep dive into the big trends shaping the food and beverage industry. I'm Food Navigator journalist Oliver Morrison. In case you hadn't noticed, these are uncertain times. The pandemic, inflation, cost of living, war in Europe, the climate crisis. In times of turmoil, what do we do? We turn to food and beverage. An interesting example of um, food and mood in times of uncertainty. In America, in the aftermath of 2001, sales of meatloaf shot up uh, because it reminded consumers of their past and simpler times. That's consumer trends specialist Mike Hughes. He heads up the research and insight division at FMCG Gurus. But when we once turned to indulgent, nostalgic foods as a coping mechanism, there's a trend among consumers today to seek out more natural, healthier solutions. How can the industry look to capitalise? There's always been a relationship between consumers and um, their food and their mood. Historically, what we've kind of done is we've turned to it as a coping mechanism. You know, we, we, we feel stressed, we feel anxious, we feel agitated. We'll turn to a comfort-orientated food for that moment of escapism from daily pressures. That could either be a nostalgic product, something that reminds us of our past and simpler times. It could be a product that's purely hedonistic for that comfort effect, even if it may make us feel a bit guilty for it afterwards. But it was very much that element of turning to food or drink as a coping mechanism. What we're now seeing is consumers are, are reevaluating that and thinking, well, it's not a case of turning to the bad stuff necessarily for that moment of escapism, but instead it's about turning to products with functional ingredients that actually may that are healthy, that can help aid that relaxation and stress. And consumers recognise that certain functional ingredients, especially things such as botanicals, are actually things that can help relax and unwind. And I think look, this something that's really important with this is this will always be a big area for um, for food because it's inherently natural. So consumers aren't worried that they're taking some kind of chemical stimulant or some kind of medicinal product to help boost their their mental well-being. You know, you look at products such as CBD, for example, and there can still be some reluctance to use those products. Why? Well, consumers want to feel relaxed, but they don't want to feel that they're using some kind of medicinal product to achieve that when everyday food and drink can do it. So there's always been that relationship there. But what we're seeing now is that switch from, I'm going to turn to this chocolate cake this snack bar that reminds me of my past because it will offer that moment of escapism um, and nostalgia to instead, I'm going to seek out this product, which I know has certain ingredients that will generally help improve my mental well wellness. We're also seeing changing attitudes to mental health with the stigma once attached to it disappearing. It's expected this fact will continue to fuel demand for food and beverage solutions for mood and mental well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, what, but one thing that's really interesting as well is, you know, we, we've we always taken sleep as something for granted. We know we need it, but we don't really get, give it much consideration. And that's, you know, that's, that's something that started to change. Consumers are actually looking at their kind of like sleep hygiene and health and looking to how they can improve it. 
But there's still sometimes a lot of misconceptions that exist around what can impact sleep health. And again, I think this is something that the food industry can do going forward. You ask many consumers why they, they can't sleep at night and they will say stress, things that keep them awake at night. And they will admit that these worries can often be irrational and somewhat doomsday scenario. And that, well, that's certainly true for um, an element. But it's also worth noting that the rise in sleep-related problems is something that's kind of also coincided with the use of handheld technology. Um, and one of the reasons many consumers can't get to sleep in the evenings is because they use their smartphones directly before they go to bed, which is one, keeping the brains active anyway because they're searching the internet, they're downloading things, etc. But they're also not fully aware of the blue light that's, you know, impacting on their cognitive health, their ability to slow down and, and, and to relax. And I think what it shows with things like stress and sleep is consumers don't fully understand it. We're at a stage now where we're being open about stuff. And that's that's absolutely great. You know, we're recognizing that actually these poor sleep patterns aren't sustainable. They're not just impacting my mood. They're not just making me feel lousy throughout the day actually this is something that has long-term implications rather than avoiding specific foods what consumers are looking to do is actually recognize that poorly structured mealtime habits are actually something that can contribute to to poor sleep health you know you you look at problems across the globe and they they can often be interlinked you know we talk about consumers feeling bloated a lot having stomach aches a lot and also consumers not being able to sleep as well as they perhaps would like to. And and, and that is interlinked, you know, because if, if consumers are staying up late, they're spending too much time on social media, um, they're watching too much um, streaming on, on television, for instance. And one thing to always try, say with something like that is consumers can often lose track of time and not realise just how much time they are doing this. And then if they have a poorly structured mealtime plan and eat late at night and then immediately get into bed, you know, that bloating, the fact that the food's not been digested is something that, you know, can impact on their sleep habits. So they do recognize that, you know, sleep isn't an isolated thing in itself. You know, it's interconnected with with other areas of, um, of wellness. Other trend watchers are noticing more food brands looking to innovate with botanicals, adaptogens and similar ingredients as more consumers take an interest in their mental well-being. I'm John Copestake. I'm a senior consumer analyst at, um, at EY. Uh, I tend to look at food trends and, uh, and, and I look at future trends as well um, in how consumers are going to react to the changing world around them. Well, we're definitely seeing a lot of product launches around that space and, and typically food follows beverages. So beverages innovate first and then and then food companies tend to follow a little bit more slowly. And we, we, we saw, you know, CBD, we saw adaptogens, nootropics, we saw a lot of those things coming into the into the beverage industry to, to focus on mental well-being. And now we're starting to see them come through in food supplements, um, you know, mushrooms, for example, you know, there's a lot of mushroom gummies and things like that launching, which are designed to elevate your mental well-being. The other thing that I was going to observe is generally food is actually quite slow at catching up with beverage. And there's good reasons for that. Food is probably more regulated from a food safety perspective. Beverages can reformulate in, 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 into liquid. It's easier to, to do things with. But next time you go to the supermarket, look at the shelves and see how dietary needs are being met. Now, we're seeing a lot more things meeting for allergies, gluten-free, et cetera, you know, all that sort of thing. And we're still, but we're still seeing largely um, dietary foods focused on calorie. So they, they'll still list the calories that they're, they're still focusing on that area. 
we're not seeing particularly a, a huge amount of products in supermarkets, apart from a lot of specialist ones, um, that focus on some of these trends that we're seeing. We don't. We, there isn't an aisle in the in, in the supermarket for mental well-being um, food products, and I think that's a really interesting thing. Is that at the end of the day, as much as we're seeing some changes in the market and we're seeing a lot of a lot of innovative product launches, and we're seeing you know smaller companies doing doing some of these things, what we're still seeing on the shelves of supermarkets isn't substantively changing. Um, not it's changing slowly, but not substantively. One company looking to shake up the grocery aisles is Spain-based Nectium. It has expanded its botanical ingredient portfolio into the food and beverage sector for the first time. The move means that its clinically researched branded plant extracts are now available for use in a wide range of applications beyond supplements, including sports and energy drinks, dairy products, gummies and cereal bars. Its portfolio includes the adaptogen Rhodiolife. This is extracted from the Rhodiola plant, which grows in the cold Arctic regions of Europe, Asia and North America. And while there is no high-quality clinical evidence of its effectiveness to treat any disease, the plant has been shown to help improve cognitive health, such as improving anxiety and depression. Marketing manager Deborah Thoma tells me more. There's lots of uh, scientific evidence uh, that showed the health benefits of, of, uh, in, in the mental health area already. But there's also evidence showing that it's it's uh, it's improving uh, antidepressant or it has antidepressant uh, effects. Why are you looking to move from the supplement space to the food and food and beverage space? Traditionally, I think um, consumers were very. There was a clear line between the supplement industry and the food and beverage industry. So, um, as I said, our major field of activity was really the supplement industry. That's um, where most of our ingredients went into. So people taking capsules, uh, the traditional supplement formats, whereas we now see a trend towards um, more convenient, more consumer-friendly formats, um, and consumers simply want to have that supplementation, um, supplementation of their diet, but they're not so eager on taking pills anymore, taking pills or capsules. So they want to integrate their their supplements into their their, their dairy uh, or into their food habits. What kind of food and beverage applications does uh, does Roddy Life suit? We see a trend, and that's um, that's evidenced by by new product launches already, um, which is quite interesting. Obviously, gummy formats are very popular now. There's lots of inquiries uh, that we receive on, on, on that behalf. Um, but there's snacks, uh, muesli bars, for example. But we even have, um, we have uh, our Rudy Live integrated or formulated into, into coffee sachets. So um, soluble coffee, we have products uh, on the market. There's also beverages that are quite popular. What we see increasingly is that um, brand owners or contract manufacturers have specific uh, or they they request specific data on our ingredients that usually or that in the past were not so common. For example, the the heat resistance of our ingredients, um, stability, or also um, uh, the impact on 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 flavor, for example, because obviously it's something different when you add an uh, an ingredient to your product formulation. So that's a lot of things that uh, a lot of factors that uh, that need to be considered. 
that we're aware, well aware of. And um, we've started uh, working on an application app that we have in-house now, so in our laboratories. That's, that's all topics that we're covering now. What will it do to the texture and what will it do to the taste? It always depends on the product formulation. Usually, Botanica experts, uh, and we're, we're talking <laughs> honestly here, um, Botanica experts have a very specific, um, very specific aroma, let's say, or a specific flavor um, that is not very well accepted by everybody. What we see is that it's becoming more and more accepted by consumers because they actually want to look or they're looking for something natural. So they're starting to accept those specific flavors, uh, knowing that they're taking or that they're ingesting something natural. But obviously, um, when we're looking at, at beverages, for example, the, the color is very important. So, uh, so producers usually ask us, what happens if I put your ingredient into my beverage? Does it, does it change uh, anything? So that's something that um, that we look at, and um, usually there's there's always solutions to uh, to everything, but it's it's always um, product formulation dependent. What claims can producers make? Hmm. Um, so as is the case for most plant extract, uh, as of now there's there's no specific health claims approved by EFSA. There's still a lot of claims pending, and it's the same case with Rhodiola rosea. So as of now, this is a bit of a challenge, which customers usually um, tackle by adding other ingredients to the formulation, which have uh, product claims approved, like vitamins and minerals. There's, there's a, a broad area of uh, scientific evidence. Uh, the health benefits are very clear. Nevertheless, there's no claims approved. Another company promoting a natural ingredient is Israeli biotech company Alga Technologies. It specialises in the commercial cultivation of microalgae. Microalgae is a rich source of astaxanthin, a red pigment rich in antioxidants and which also causes the pink-red colour in salmon. From one type of microalgae, the company extracts the astaxanthin to make a powder product called Astapure. And like Radio Life, Astapure claims to have cognitive benefits such as improving stress. The company, too, hopes to target food and beverage formulators. Okay, my name is Soli Brower, and I'm the chief scientific officer at Alga Technologies, which is an Israeli company that grows microalgae in the south of Israel, in the middle of the desert. Before talking about the mental health sector, I just want to emphasize that since it is a very strong antioxidant, it is good for many indications, not only mental health. It is good for um, for our skin, eyes, uh, muscles. So it's a single ingredient product that is actually good for many, many indications. And for the mental health, most of us live in a very stressful uh, environment, and especially after the two years of the COVID, I think the stress went up. And so now we see that if, like in the last two years, there was an emphasis on immune support, now there is also an emphasis on uh, well-being and uh, very interestingly, apart from being um, uh, beneficial for well-being 
and mood, the study we have conducted showed also a, a beneficial effect on our immune systems. Away from specialist ingredients, is there evidence that people are turning to specialist diets, the super trendy keto, paleo and flexitarian, for example, to help their mental well-being? Here's John Copestake again. Well, that's a really interesting question. Are they, they're clearly opportunities for many people. Uh, I think that typically diets tend to be slightly faddish. And what happens is that a diet emerges, lots of people adopt it. And then over time, the diet actually disappears from, from, uh, from view and becomes replaced by another diet. But the, the learnings from the diet, the key important things in that diet remain and they become more fundamental in the way that people consume. I'm old enough to remember the Atkins diet. I'm old enough to remember the South Beach diet. Um, those diets are now long gone, but we're still seeing traces of them in the way that people consume now. The interesting thing about that from a consumer perspective is these diets are very bifurcated. You know, on the one hand, a keto diet is very, very high in fat, high in meat, um, high in protein, um, to, to the extreme that the ancestral diet, um, is even, is, is almost all meat. Um, and then on the other hand, you have people looking towards veganism, vegetarianism, uh, as a means of actually being healthier and living, living more healthily, as well as obviously living more sustainably. So I think that, you know, the fact that these diets are so contradictory means that there probably isn't a real solution. The other key thing, which I think is a brand, a, a challenge for brands, is also fasting. So there's lots of diets now that promote fasting. And I think that's that's a very interesting thing. Because how, how, as a food company, are you going to sell food to somebody who wants to fast more? The question for the food industry then is, how vital is it for them to get in this area? Well, so there's a lot of brands that, that will launch um, products like keto-friendly products or, or products that, that, that are designed to, to, to adhere to a particular kind of ingredient. I mean, we, we've seen a lot of uh, things like mushroom gummies launching a, a, around the world. And, and I think that, that the adaptogenic and, and nootropic qualities that they have are, are things that we're seeing definitely bleed through from the beverage industry. But at the end of the day, brands are face a little bit of a risk if they if they if they throw everything behind this because the diets can move on very quickly they can be controversial um, and that's why beverage companies tend to be able to do, move more quickly because they, they don't they're not necessarily the same, have the same problems with reformulating products underpinning it all though is a much more longer term trend towards you know uh, more more varied ingredients higher veg- vegetable content lower meat content in products and i think as companies reformulate there may be fluctuations in in in, in the products that they launch and the products that they they don't launch but uh, in the longer term we're definitely seeing kind of the people dialing down meat content in, in the in the products they sell it might be a risk therefore for companies to throw their weight behind diets that are particularly on vogue But there is fascinating evidence emerging that the keto diet, for example, may help treat serious mental health disorders. A new clinical trial by James Cook University in Australia is investigating how the diet can affect conditions including bipolar disorder. Andy Welsh founded Keto Life in 2019. The company now sells products, including Andy's own keto versions of bread and cake, to over 250,000 consumers in 15 countries. My background is really corporate, uh, corporate change for the last 25 years across many, many industries flying around the world and that sort of thing, uh, insourcing, outsourcing. And I took some time off um, with many stress, mental stress, um, I actually collapsed on the flight uh, coming back from Poland. Um, so I've got a kind of experience from a mental perspective pre my discovery of, um, of keto. Keto is the world's most Googled food-related word, and most people choose it to lose weight 
80% of Keto Life customers come to it for diet reasons. But there's growing interest in its potential mental health benefits, says Andy. So if you, if you think about today's um, Western diets, they lack a lot of the nutrients um, that's required to sort of feed the body and look after our kind of precious organs, you know, our brain, for example. And when you introduce a keto diet or a low-carb lifestyle, as I like to call it, you essentially ditch many of the highly processed carbs and the sugars that dominate our Western lives. So an appreciation of healthy foods, whether it be your leafy greens or just good, good food in general, um, starts to provide those essential nutrients that your brain needs to function properly. So don't look at keto specifically. Keto driver is a good driver for it. There's lots of other great diets like paleo and the like that starts giving your brain the nutrients that it needs to actually function properly. Another angle from just healthier diets um, is the avoidance of many uh, uh, physical uh, uh, feelings in your body that then drives a mental impact. One of them, the most common in my head, would be bloatiness. You know, a lot of people start avoiding bulkier carbs because they have that horrible bloaty feeling. Yeah, Introduce keto and you start avoiding these heavily processed carbohydrates um, and you get rid of, a lot of our customers say they get rid of a lot of that bloatiness, get rid of that, uh, that bloatiness, that, that feeling, and your, you, your, your indirect impact is you feel better as well. What's the difference between keto and just healthy eating then? And what specifically is it about keto that creates this relationship with, with, the, with the mental health? Or is it yeah, just healthy? No, diet? no, no, that's a very good point. That's a very good question. So a lot, lots of the studies that I've just sort of previously mentioned, uh, they refer to um, how we use energy and how the brain uh, obtains energy. And that's usually through the conversion of carbohydrates into glucose and the glucose then passing into the brain. Yeah. Now, a lot of the studies, especially with epilepsy, um, going back sort of 100 years as well from, from the studies, is our brain doesn't always cope well with the transference of using glucose to create the energy. Yeah, when you look at keto, keto, if you if you are uh, following a sort of I don't want to say strict ketogenic diet, but your your ketones are uh, oxidizing your fats to to use it for energy. Um, you're then using fats to trans to 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 to, uh, to give the brain energy. Yeah, and the the research, the you know, the, the the studies that are coming back are saying, therefore, your brain is getting the energy that it needs because it's not coping so well from a from a glucose absorption point of view, but it works better from a fat absorption. Um, if you look at things such as bipolar disorder, um, especially uh, there's different levels. There's type one, type two. There's things in the middle as well. But if you there's lots of um, uh, information studies that talk about the. Uh, those that have an insulin uh, resistance, so they struggle themselves anyway with glucose, are have, have worse symptoms from a bipolar perspective. So there's there's definitely a link, and I, I refer back to my first point, I'm not a doctor, but there's definitely a link between glucose, fats, how the brain uses it, what it needs for energy, and therefore the impact. And if you think about a lot of these um ailments, challenges, chemical imbalances, those uh, the, the list of things I just talked about previously, it's going to impact you, impact your mood. What what I can't say and what I because of, I can't find any anecdotal or evidence-based studies is is if you jump on a keto diet, you will feel better. You know, you'll jump around and feel great. What I can say from an anecdotal perspective is yes you do. Because a lot of the side I say side effects, 
is your sleep better. You know, you know what it's like when you get a better night's sleep, you feel better. Um, the the number of customers that come to us and, and uh, well, I'll take a step back, 80%, and this kind of goes into your um, pre- prior question slightly with, the, with the, the doctors prescribing it. And we talked about 50,000 of our customers regularly, but 80% of our customers come to, to come to us to buy for weight loss reasons. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the driver. That's the message that's out there at the moment. But they, when I speak to them, I love speaking to them, especially when they're doing their collections. They talk about how much better they feel. They, they, they talk about how, how cleaner their mind feels, you know, the cognitive approach that they don't say down to level of cognitive, but they, they just, they feel they're more astute in their in their conversations. They sleep better, so they perform better, um, and it works also from a from a um, weight loss management perspective. You know, we have an eighty uh, percent repeat uh, purchase rate. People come back, and therefore, if you're if you've got a personal target in mind, uh, and forty six percent of the um, UK population last year tried a diet of some sort, not all keto, but tried a diet, and those that achieved it. They've achieved their goal. They've achieved their target, and therefore they're going to feel better. So their mood, their behaviour, their potential anxiety will, will be impacted. So it's, it's kind of it's not a direct have do this diet and this outcome from a mood, mood perspective. But but the interesting thing that I'm finding is there are so many studies of people with ailments. I'm going to use that word that result in anxiety, depression immobilization um that if you can reduce that impact then you're going to feel better the messages that we get from our customers saying what they've heard from their doctors so initially um when we launched and it went it went a bit like wildfire in a good way for us um customers were calling to our left right and center but some of them and it was not uncommon uh, but it's still a small percent. With okay, oh my doctor said I can't have a low carb diet. I mustn't have a low carb diet. And the first thing we'd say is, we are not nutritionists. We are not doctors. You must listen to what they say. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't even say, oh, but tried anyway. I just had to be completely respectful. And that's how we we move forward now. But you, you not only do you rarely get that happening nowadays. The NHS have also now released their low carb program, so it's encouraging people to consider a low carb lifestyle. They've got a whole program with it, which is very. From, from what I've seen, maybe it's like looking, you, you buy a red car, you see a red car. But um, I haven't seen other diets being pushed like that from the NHS before. Um, healthy eating, higher fibre, but an actual programme, a low-carb programme, was, was really surprising. Here's Mike Hughes again with some final advice for manufacturers looking to target cohorts seeking food and beverage to improve their mood. What I would say to these products um, and something that will be really important to consumers over the next couple of years, particularly in continued eras of uncertainty, is to kind of give it a broader positioning around emotional wellness and happiness and mood enhancement. A mood enhancement can work in two ways, you know, enhancing a mood. If you, you can be relaxed and feel more relaxed, you can be energetic and feel more energetic. When we've evaluated consumer attitudes to claims on products from a health perspective, we've seen that they generally tend to prefer general claims compared to specific claims. Um, so in the, a completely different kind of um, example, but in the digestive health market, 
consumers would rather have just a general claim around supporting digestive health than preventing ir- or reducing the impact of um, irritable bowel syndrome, for instance. So if you can have general claims and you can position it all around that concept of emotional wellness, linking it to happiness and encouraging consumers to have, um, I think, and I think this is really important, some element of control over their emotional wellness, then that's something that can make the product um, more applicable to a wider array of occasions. It can reduce any kind of consciousness that consumers may have um, if they think it has some additional effects. And and, and it can be given a more aspirational and positive um, positioning as well, you know. Sometimes consumers can be reluctant about things. You know, you, if, if you, they, they might see a product um, around aiding sleep health and they think it's, it's, it's a poor admission if they have to purchase that. You know, it's a sign that they, they're reliant on a product where if you give something a more positive positioning, they may be more open to, uh, to, to trying it. That's it for this episode. See you next time.